0: Jesus, we just we come before you and we thank you that you are a good God. And Lord, today I pray that you would open our, our ears and our hearts to hear what you want to say. And that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. So Lord, speak to us. We're here this evening. May, may we be open vessels. Lord, may you be glorified this evening. We love you and thank you in your precious name. Amen. Awesome. Well, this week, like we've already done this evening, and coming up this next weekend on the eleventh, we get to remember those who have gone before us. Like we've already, like we've already done. And here's the thing: I've I have never been in battle. I've never been in combat or trained for combat. But I watched some movies, and I have no idea if that actually uh, shows us some of the training that these people have gone through. But what I have recognized, and what people will say, is that the training is incredible incredibly important, and they, they need to be very disciplined in their training, and it takes a lot of time and effort, because if they do not train well, once they get into battle, they will not fight well. Once they get into battle, if they haven't trained properly, once they're there, they will most likely just react out of second, or out of their emotions, out of fear, out of whatever is coming their way, and maybe retreat even. Whereas if they train hard and they train and discipline themselves well, once they're in the battle, it's second nature to do certain things. They don't base their responses or their actions off of emotions or feelings. They actually base their actions off of what they've learned. What's second nature to them. And you know, the same is true in life. If, if anything is worth it, it requires discipline. It requires effort. It requires training, we don't like discipline in our culture. Nobody likes it, but we want the outcome. And if we want it bad enough, then we have to go through the steps to get there. You know, when I, when I used to play basketball, um, I know I'm really short, so <laughs> don't ask me. Anyways, we, uh, every day we would have to play or practice two hours a day. Two hours a day we would have to practice other than Sundays and other than game days. We hated practice. I hated lining up on the line and having to do sprints back and forth, back and forth. I hated having to do uh, the fast break over and over and over again and practicing little shots over and over and over again. And we don't like practice, but if we want to compete well, we need to practice. If we actually want to compete in a way that we could win... Then we need the discipline. We need to train ourselves. When I used to play piano, and much to my mom's chagrin, I don't play anymore, but when I was preparing for my grade 10 exam, for two years straight, I practiced six days a week, an hour and a half a day, you know, and that's what I did. I would come home at lunch, I'd come home after school, and I'd just keep practicing because if I wanted to pass that exam, I needed to put in the time. I needed to do the discipline, I needed to train myself. The same is true in our spiritual lives. And yet for some reason it's a lot easier, well not easier, but we, we can discipline ourselves in the physical realm for certain things, but yet for the spiritual realm sometimes it's like, eh, I don't need to train. But like Pastor Paul talked about last week, we will go through trials we will go through hardships we will come against battles and he brought up reasons why god allows us or and sometimes even leads us into those situations and the whole reason is to develop character to make us stronger to build us up in god and that's what we talked about but this evening what i kind of want to talk about is what are the response how do we actually train before the battle is even coming before we're in the battle, how do we train, how do we discipline ourselves in order to be prepared and be victorious when the trial of life comes? And maybe you've had a peachy keen life, awesome, but I, you know, I got to burst your bubble, it's not always going to be peachy keen. You know what, there's going to be some hardships. So how do we prep in the good times, in the easy times of life, so that when the battle, the trial, the tribulation comes, we're actually victorious in it? So we're going to look at some practical steps of what we can do in that. Because I I am convinced, if you're here this evening, you probably are are either curious about God or you desire to follow God. And if you desire to follow God, that would mean that you want to follow him even in the hard times. But I watch a lot of people, there's two responses that I see when we come to trials. Um, We either turn away from God, we blame him and say, why God? Why would you allow this and say, you must not be good, so I'm going my own way? I watch a lot of people do that. Or our other response is actually turning towards God and bringing our questions to God rather than walking away from him. If you're here this evening, I I would assume that the second response is actually what you want your response to be in the midst of a trial, when a trial comes. But it takes putting time in before the trial even comes to discipline yourself so that you are victorious when that battle actually comes. So this evening, we're going to look at some practical steps, like I've already said, about how do we actually walk by faith? How do we live by faith? How do, we, how do we train spiritually? How do we discipline ourselves to actually follow God well? And so if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in an obscure little book in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, it's... um. It's the fifth last book in the Old Testament. It's after Nahum, before Zephaniah. And this little book, has got only three chapters, very short, but very profound. And I was telling the other two services, you know, when I used to, or while I was prepping this message, it was actually very difficult because I was like, there's so much in here. I could preach for three hours, you know, and none of you want that. So we're going to zip it down, but I'd encourage you guys, Get into it. Read the book. You know, it's only three chapters, and I love it because it's so practical. Even though it was 2,600 years ago that it was written, it applies to today because it's real. It's raw. I love the Bible because it's just a real book, real people who go through real things like you and I, and we can identify with some of these, these questions. And the book of Habakkuk, it's actually a conversation between a man and God. And, and he comes to God and, and he brings his questions before God. If you read the first two, or verse two and three of chapter one, this is what it says How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are always before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. You know, Habakkuk, here's this real man, and he's coming before God, and he's like, God, why? How long? You know, if any of you have the nation of Canada deep on your heart to pray for, I'm sure you've prayed these prayers. How long, oh Lord? Why why are you not saving us? Why are you you letting people prosper who are evil? Why do the wicked seem to flourish and the righteous are being subjected? What's going on here? Habakkuk, that's his whole prayer. See, he's looking at the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom of Israel has already been wiped out. It was about 100 years before he was writing this. And he's looking at his nation, Judah, and he's saying, God, we we have abandoned the covenant. And wicked people are ruling. It was after Josiah, probably. He probably lived partially in Josiah's reign and then into his kids. And after King Josiah... The nation went downhill very fast. They were worshiping idols. There was, it was just horrible. Horrible situation. And here's Habakkuk. And he's coming before God. And he said, God, you said that you would judge the unrighteous. What's going on? How long before you judge my nation? Basically is what he's praying So he brings us this question before God, and I love it because Habakkuk, instead of saying, God, why, and then walking away from God, he actually comes before God and says, why, and waits for an answer. He waits for God, and then God answers him. See, when we wait for an answer, God will typically answer. But a lot of the times, we get impatient. We're like, okay, I give up. God, you're, you're done, you know? And, and, but here's Habakkuk, and he brings his request, and he asks his questions. And he says, why, God? And then he waits. And then God speaks, and, you know, the first verse of, of God's answer seems pretty good. In verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not even believe if you were told. That sounds pretty cool. It's like, sweet, bring it on. What's coming? Like, something that I wouldn't even believe if I was told it. Yes, what's happening? But then God continues, and is probably not an answer that Habakkuk wanted to hear. In fact, it's for sure not an answer that Habakkuk wanted to hear. Because you keep reading, and it says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. See, God's answer to Habakkuk's question doesn't actually fit with Habakkuk's theology. It doesn't make sense. Why why would God raise up the Babylonians, and, and God continues to describe the Babylonians, and they were not a nice people? When they came to power, they were brutal. They were horrific people. And God says, I'm going to raise up this wicked nation, people group, and they're actually going to wipe you out. They're going to take you into exile. Well, Habakkuk, like I said, it didn't equate. It didn't make sense. And, and that's when Habakkuk, you come to Habakkuk's second complaint, and he says, God, I don't get it. How can you, you are righteous, you are holy, you're from everlasting. How can you use a people that are more wicked than us to judge us? It doesn't make sense. You know, how many times does that happen to us when we're going through a situation and we're like, God, I I don't get it. You say that you're good, but this is not good. You say that you're loving, but this is not loving. Habakkuk's a real guy. He has the same kind of questions as we do a lot of the time. But here's the difference, I think, between Habakkuk and how we sometimes respond to situations. Like I've already said, he doesn't just ask why and blame God and then walk away and deem him as unfaithful or unworthy. Instead, Habakkuk comes and he says, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense, but I'm going to wait. In verse 16 of chapter 2, I believe, verse Sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on my ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what the answer I am to give to this complaint. You know, here's the thing. Habakkuk came and he waited for an answer. He was having this conversation with God. And he didn't just bring his questions and then blame God and walk away. No, he brought his questions and he says, God, please show up. Here's the first thing about how we prepare for a trial, is we have to spend time with God. We need to spend time with him. We need to have a a relationship with him. It's evident that Habakkuk had a relationship with his God because of the conversation that he had. How many of you are really honest with people that you don't know? Probably not. (laughs) And if you are, you may need help, right? Um, because there's, there's certain uh, guards that we usually put up. When we don't know somebody, it's not like we're going to bear our soul. In a friendship, it takes time to actually build a friendship. You can know a lot about somebody, but actually not know them. You can know a ton about a celebrity, but unless you have spent time with them, And not just met them and like shook their hand or, whoa, I I touched his hand, you know, like, um, but actually spend time where you know their favorite food because you've gone out and watched their face light up when they're eating a certain food, right? Like, you know the quirks behind them. To have a best friend, you need to spend time with them. To have open and honest conversations, you need to have history and time spent with them. The same is true with God. He's a person. Yes, he's God, creator God, but he's an intimate God who wants a relationship with us. And we need to spend time with him. And it, and here's the thing, it's not an obligation. It's something that we get to do. We get the opportunity, the privilege to spend time with Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the king of all kings. Would we not want to spend time with that person? We have that opportunity. And how do we spend time with Him? It's through getting into His Word and through prayer. And it seems simplistic. You guys know this stuff probably. But the simple is sometimes very difficult to do. And we need reminders. You know, get to know His Word. Get to know His truth. Get to know who He is. That He is good. That He is loved. That He has good plans for you. You know, the first step... And preparing for a trial, spending time with God. So how do you spend time with God? You know, get up 10 minutes earlier and get into the Bible. You know, if you're not a daily Bible reader, start reading the Bible one chapter a day. And if you're like, I'm too tired in the morning, I won't get anything. Okay, well then, you know what? Read it at lunch, at your coffee break. Read it as soon as you get home from, su- from work before you even make supper. And tell your kids, wait, I'm reading, you know? You, you hear about, it. I think it was, maybe, don't quote me on this. I think John Wesley, though, his mom had a ton of kids. And what she would do to get her time with God, she would put her skirt over her head. And all the kids knew don't bug mom right now. She's having her quiet time with God. You know, do what you need to do. Do what's necessary in order to get your time with God. Spend time with him. Maybe it's right before bed. I fall asleep when I do that, so I've got to get up early. You know, I had another lady come up to me after the first service, and she said, because the time fell back, I've learned that I should just Even though the time has changed, I keep getting up at that time. And now I have an extra hour to spend with God. Maybe that's what some of you need to do. You know, get up an extra hour earlier. Why not? Here's the thing. We get to spend time with God, but do we? Are we training for the battle? Because if we don't know him before we go into the trial or the battle, we will not continue to follow him probably. Because we don't have that relationship with him. And the the reason that we spend time with him every day, it's not like every day that I spend time in the word or I read the Bible, that it's like, Woo! God is speaking to me, and it's just like this best time. No, sometimes it's really dry. Sometimes it's not exciting. But the reason that I set aside time in my day to hear from God is because it gives him more opportunity to actually speak when I'm actually listening. Because let's face it, we're all busy, If I don't take time out of my day to actually listen for what he's saying, he might not speak. But if he does, I'm probably going to hear it. Because the rest of the day, I'm busy. We're all busy. You know, you go talk to people and it's like, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, I'm so busy too. You know, it's like, let's cut the busy out because we all know that we're busy, right? And here's the thing. We're so distracted that we probably don't hear God's voice throughout the day. So we need to cut time out of our day to actually sit and be quiet and listen. God, what are you saying? To read his word and to pray. And i, I got to be honest, prayer is hard for me. I know I'm a pastor, so I should probably be good at it, but I'm not. It, it's difficult. I love scripture because it's tangible. It's something that I can, I can read and, I, you know, like it's just there. But prayer is hard for me. And I find there's two extremes usually in, in human nature. Either people are like, I love praying. Or And I don't like reading the word. Or it's like, I love reading, but I don't like praying. Just because you don't like something or something isn't easy, does that mean that it's okay to not do? Probably not. I need a prayer life. I, and, and it's hard because it's like, oh, my mind is everywhere. And it's like these monkeys jumping around, right? But I, I need to discipline myself to calm those monkeys, those thoughts that are jumping around in my head and sit before God like Habakkuk did. When I have questions, to bring those questions before God and then wait. Wait for him to speak. Ask him, Lord, what do you want to say? What are you saying to me today? We need to spend time with God. Why? Because it's our lifeline. If we do not, we're not training for the battle, and when the battle comes, we're going to fall. That's the first thing that we can do. And it's by getting into his truth. And Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you feel like, if you feel like you're burdened in here and you're not free, start spending time in the word. Start getting to know God. And this kind of leads me to the next part. It's to write down the truth. You know, um, God's second response to Um, Habakkuk, says this. It says, write down the revelation. This is chapter 2, verse 2. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false, though it linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. Basically, what God is saying here. I, he continues on with his response and he says, I will bring justice. I will bring judgment. Don't worry. There will be vindication for the Israelites, for the Jews. The Babylonians will be wiped out. And in one night, when you're reading in D- Daniel, you hear about the writing on the wall and Belshazzar is wiped out by Darius. That night, just done. Babylonians gone. Right? But it was about 80 years after. Habakkuk wrote this, and God said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm promising that I will bring you back to the land, that I will judge the Babylonians, this horrible, impetuous people who are going to judge you, and it was awful, right? But, but God said, okay, here's my promise. Now what I want you to do is write it down so it's something concrete, so that you can stick a stake in the ground, and you know that without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to do it. And even when you feel like it's not going to happen, I need you to believe that it's still going to happen. Even if it feels like it's a long ways off, do not lose faith. And don't just write it down for yourself, but put it on a billboard on a highway so that everybody knows this is going to happen. Even when everything is stripped, I will still hold true to my promise. I will still come. Habakkuk took it to heart and he wrote it down. That's why he's in the Bible. That's why we have this little book of three chapters that, that that this dialogue between God and Habakkuk is because he wrote it down. He made it concrete. You know, for us a lot of the times we need to write the word of God down. We need to write truth down. Because it's something concrete that we can go back to and say, "No, this is truth, and I'm standing on this." Every morning I try to journal I try to pick one verse that sticks out to me and write it in my journal. Maybe that's what you need to start doing. Sometimes something will speak to me and I'm like, okay, I know that I get distracted throughout the day, so sometimes I'll write it on my thumb to just remind me throughout the day. What did I read? What was God speaking to me this morning through his word? You know, sometimes I'll write it on my mirror and just to remind myself. Sometimes I'll put it in my shower to remind myself. And, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, like, showering is just this necessary thing to stay clean. Why not use it to prep for battle? (laughs) You know, why not use some of these times? Sometimes I've put, like, passages or people that I want to pray for on my steering wheel to just remind me to do these things. Get creative. I don't know what you need to do. But do it. Write it down. Write down the word. Because when it's concrete, when we've written it down, then it's easier to go back to it and remind ourselves of the truth. When we feel like, God, you're not there, when we're starting to doubt God's goodness, when we're starting to doubt his promise, we can go back to something concrete and say, God, this is what you've said, though. And the past couple of weeks have been difficult for me. And it's been really cool, though, because God has given me different words to say, Amy, This is what I'm speaking to you. And I've had to write that down so that I can go back to that. It's concrete. But here's the thing. I would encourage you guys not to just write it down on something that's going to fade the second time that you wash dishes, but to actually write it down on your heart. Start memorizing the scripture. Because if, heaven forbid, that our country is ever closed... (laughs) and that we're not actually able to read this freely, but even if this was taken from us, how much do we know and hear? We need to be memorizing it. And a lot of times we think, oh, memorizing scripture is just for Sunday school. Well, aren't we supposed to have childlike faith? Maybe, maybe we should start reading it, and not just reading it, but writing it, and not just writing it, but memorizing it. So that any time that I'm going through a situation, it's right there, I can pull it up, and I know the truth. You know, the, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the shield of faith. And back in Roman days, a shield was actually layer upon layer upon layer of leather. Now, what they would have to do as a soldier, every day, they would have to douse their, their shield in water. Because if for some reason they were attacked, and there were fiery arrows from the enemy, if they were attacked and their shield was not doused in water, it would be engulfed in flame instantly. However, if they actually were dousing their shield in water, as soon as that fiery arrow would hit, it would be extinguished because of the water. Now, this would be hard and it would be difficult because it would be heavy to carry. But they had to do it. If they wanted to resist the enemy if they wanted to be victorious. And in Ephesians 6, Paul uses that analogy to say, hey, douse your faith in the word, in truth every day so that when the lies, the evil enemy, when the enemy throws those fiery darts, they're immediately extinguished because you know the truth. And you can say, whoa, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And this is what the truth says because I know the truth. It's in here. That's why he's given us his word. And in Psalm 119, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we resist temptation? It's by knowing the word. Not just writing it down, but knowing it and then living from it. Amen. You know, it was cool a couple of weeks ago at prayer and fasting, I really felt like we just, at the end, we needed to stand up and we needed to just declare truth. Declare what truth God is speaking to us. And it was so cool because just to hear different things that that God had spoken to people, that they had hidden in their heart, and that they were declaring out over people. But here's the thing. In order to know it in here, we first have to read it. We have to memorize it. And then we can speak it out. And it was neat because one of of my friends, she came up to me afterwards, and she's like, that was like a bath. Just washing away all of the dirt, all of the grime, all of the lies— As I hear truth. We need to proclaim truth over ourselves, but we need to know it in order to proclaim it. In in high school youth and middle school youth, it's been fun because we've been memorizing. And I'm worse at high school to remember to even memorize during the night. Middle school, we're rocking it though. But um, it's been fun because I just feel like, you know what, we need to know the word. And so with high school, we started with Jeremiah 29, 11, because these kids need to know that God loves them and has a good plan for them. So I tell them, get on your swag. Everybody stand up. We're going to practice our memory verse, because this is how it goes. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, we need to know the word. So let's do it. Let's just get into it. Let's sink our teeth into it and memorize it. And, and not to toot my own horn, but when I, was in, um, when I was in high school, my friend and I, or my cousin and I, really felt like we needed to memorize the scripture more. So we said, okay, well, let's memorize the book of Philippians. So every week we had a passage that we would memorize, and we would hold each other accountable. And over the course of a month, we would actually memorize a chapter. And then over the course of four months, we had the whole book memorized. Now, don't get me wrong. I tried this a couple years later <laughs> by myself and I failed miserably because I didn't have the accountability. Get somebody to, to memorize with you. Memorize as a family. Memorize as a couple. Memorize as a small group. Whatever you got to do, start memorizing the word. This is how we prepare for the battle. because when the enemy starts throwing those fiery darts, we know the truth. And we can stand on the truth. The last part about actually um, walking out and and training before the battle comes, before the trial comes, is to praise God. And so that's actually walking out the truth. And that's what Habakkuk had to do. God said, write it down. He wrote it down. And then he had to declare it. Then he had to live it. And when you read, like, he knew that the battle was coming. He knew exile was coming. And it was horrible. You know, when the Babylonians actually came, they besieged Jerusalem in five, 590, 589, somewhere in there. And they were besieged for two and a half, three years. And it got so bad in the city. that And, and this is recorded in, it was, yeah, prophesied basically. God said, you know, it, here's the covenant. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And here's what the curses look like. And God said, it will be so bad that even the nicest woman will eat her own child because the famine will be that disastrous. And that's literally what happened to Jerusalem. The famine was so horrible that they were driven to those ends. Disgusting, right? Habakkuk knew that this was coming. He knew that the end was coming soon, that the the curses that the exile was going to come. And so how did he prep himself for that? Well, he brought his questions before God. He had this conversation. He knew the word. He wrote it down. But then he had to live it out. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 16. It says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He knew that the trial was coming. He knew that the end was coming. But he said, I will wait patiently for when vindication comes. When justice comes. And the Babylonians are, are judged for what they do. But then he keeps going. And this is what he writes. Though the fig tree does not bud. There are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. You know, basically, he's going through the covenant curses. And he's saying, okay, if the delicacies, the grapes and the figs are taken away, if the fields produce no food um, and there's uh, no—or sorry, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, basically saying— Like God said, if you disobey me, the heavens will stop giving rain, and therefore you'll be in a famine. And so he says, okay, as soon as the curses come, and even if it gets so bad that there is enemy invasion and exile, when there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls— If everything bad happens, if everything is stripped, this is what he declares. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Here's the thing. This is about 20 years before the exile or so, maybe even 30 years. But Habakkuk makes up in his mind. He makes a decision, and he says, no matter what happens, if everything is stripped, I'm going to take a stake, and I'm going to put it in the ground, and I'm going to declare and decide beforehand that I will praise God because I know he's good. This is what we need to do. We need to praise God even when it doesn't feel good. God calls us, you know, in, in chapter 2, God actually says that the righteous will live by faith. How do we live by faith? How do we walk by faith? It's by actually knowing what God says and then living from that rather than from our emotions. In the New Testament, it says that we should walk by faith, not by sight. We should walk by truth, not by feelings. Because If we walk by our feelings, let's be honest, we'll be a disaster. If we make decisions based on our emotions, like goodbye, basically, you know? And so God calls us to live by faith, not by sight, by truth, not by feelings. And that's where it's like, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it feels or it looks like God isn't good, will we still praise him? And this is where all of the other things rely on this. We need to be spending time with God. We need to have a relationship with God. We need to know the truth. Write it down. And we need to memorize it. Because when it doesn't feel good, that's when we can make the decision based on truth to praise God. And think about it. Anything in life, if you actually want to, um, if you want to lose weight, well, you've got to decide the day before what you're going to eat. Because if you just leave it up to chance and how you feel in the moment, I'll always choose chocolate. Chocolate and chips, fine by me, but probably not good for my health, right? You know, if if I decide I don't want to drink this weekend, well, I have to decide beforehand, before I'm even in the situation, that I'm not going to drink. If if I don't want to sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, right? Or if we don't want to. Sorry, that sounded weird as I was saying it. But if we don't want to sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage, we need to decide beforehand that we're not going to do it. Because if we just leave it up to chance until the situation arrives, we most likely will just go for it. We need to make the decision beforehand. We need to make the decision before the trial comes that I'm going to praise God no matter what. You know, this passage is actually really near and dear to my heart. Because my second year of college, uh, there was a scare with my, my younger sister, a health, uh, health concern. And we're 12 months apart. We're really close. We've all re- always been pretty good friends and. And I was really scared because I didn't want to lose my sister. And I didn't know how I would respond if I lost my sister. And the reason that those health concerns were so concerning to me is partially because the previous couple years and what had happened. So in grade 12, when um, my first year or first weekend of grade 12, I get this call from my sister. And she's bawling and she says, Amy, Ellie died. I said, what? What? See, my sister, one of her friends had passed away, and she was the first on the scene, basically, one of the first people to find out the vehicle had rolled. Her sister was driving, who was a year and a half older than her, and the younger sister passed away. And my sister Megan was the first one on the scene, basically. When the police said, "Well, Ellie, Ellie's gone," you know. The next morning, as I was praying, and I was like, "Lord, I don't understand." I felt like very strongly that that could have been Megan and I. That it was either Ellie or Megan. And I I don't know why it happened where I have my sister, but Jessa doesn't. I don't know why. But I remember praying and, and feeling that sense. But that that year we had something that we needed to do. But after that, who knows? And then fast forward to my second year when these health concerns are going on. And I started having these dreams, and I've never really had bad dreams. And I started having these really horrible dreams where I would wake up crying because my sister was gone. My sister had died. And one time I woke up, I was woken up actually, with. I was crying, and I hear this knock on my door to come and get a phone call. And so I come out into the dorm hallway, this is before cell phones well. I just didn't have a cell phone at that time. And so I come out, and I use the dorm phone, and it's my sister who's in Sweden at that time. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I was just woken up from a dream where you died. And here you are. You called me, you know? And then the other time that I had one of these dreams, I was actually with her in Paris, and I woke up just bawling my face off because she had just died. And yet she was with me. Like, she was there in the room. And here's why it scared me so much is because... The only other time that I had such an agitated sleep like that was actually the night that my best friend's mom passed away, and so I was wondering, Lord, are you trying to speak something to me? Are you trying to prepare me for this? And I didn't—I I didn't know how I would handle it. About a month after that—that that second um, nightmare—I was reading in my dorm room, and I came across Habakkuk three. And it was like the spirit said something so profound. He said, Amy, even if you lose your sister, will you praise me? And I recognized I needed to make a decision now before that ever happens that I will praise God and that I will declare that he is good even when he doesn't feel good. And that day, 10 years ago, it's like a stake in the ground that says, no, my God is good. No matter how I feel, no matter what I am going through, I have to believe that God is good. Because he says it in his truth. And I need to cling to that, and I need to live by faith in that, even when it doesn't feel good. Will I declare it? Will I, will I walk by that? And am I really good at practicing this? Not all the time. Sometimes I fail miserably. This week has been a battle, and I feel like maybe it's just because I was going to speak this, you know. But it's been hard to look for the good. But I can declare that, man, when we start to praise and thank God, he does crazy, awesome things. About five, five years ago, I had to apply this very, very, very profoundly. Um, because I was in such a broken and lonely, hard situation. And I felt like God said, okay, I want you to make a joy journal. And here's what this looks like. Every day, find 10 gifts that I've given you, 10 things that you can thank me for. And the first while was really hard. I couldn't even find 10 things some days, but I forced myself to keep looking. What what has God done? What can I thank Him for? What are His gifts to me? And I was still broken, I was still lonely. But as I kept doing this day in and day out, the craziest thing happened. It's like God started to open my eyes, my ears, my senses to his presence, to his goodness, to his gifts. And as I kept thanking him, this praise would start to rise up in me. And I couldn't help but praise my God because he is good. Despite the hurt, despite the tears, despite the pain, I knew that God was good. And and it was the first time in my life when I could say that it wasn't just cliche, but it was true that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It was an incredible experience. And I've watched other people do that. But we need to start thanking and praising God. Because if we don't read Romans 1, it says that they denied to give glory to God. And God gave them over to their flesh, to their sinful ways. Maybe you're struggling tonight. Start a joy journal. Start thanking him. Do it as a family every night. What are you? What are you thankful for today? What did God bless you with? And start looking for the good. It's easy to find the negative in today's culture. What about the good, though? Because God is still good. And if we start praising Him, you know what? The last verse in our chapter. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 19, it says, The Lord, the sovereign Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Here's the thing. When we come to a trial, if we have already been thanking him and praising him on a consistent basis, when we get to the trial, that will be our strength. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. God will be our strength, and we will be victorious in the battle. But it depends on how we train today. Are we going to spend time with God? Are we going to build that relationship with Him? Through prayer, through reading the Word, are we going to write the truth down, something concrete? Are we going to memorize it so that we can draw it up at any moment? And will we praise Him? Because if we do these things, I firmly believe that we will be victorious when the trial, when the battle comes. We will rise up above it. You know, about a month ago, I'll just close with this example. A month ago, I was reading in the Gospels, and I came to the place where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, and he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus, it seems, yes, he was 100% God. But he was also 100% man. And he felt the same as you and me. He, he faced those same trials. He didn't want to die. He asked God to take it away three times. And yet God didn't. And it struck me so profoundly that even though Jesus didn't get his way, even though God didn't answer the prayer that Jesus wanted him to, Jesus was still obedient because he had that relationship with God. He knew the word. He knew what he came to do. And even though he was still going to the cross, and why was he going to die? It was for you and me. He took the cup. It says that cup is like the cup of wrath. That was the analogy used. So the wrath of God that was to be poured out on all mankind for our sin, for our rebellion, going against God, not believing that he's good and saying, God, I know better. Jesus was about to take that on himself. And he asked, Lord, if there's any other way, can you take it? But there was no other way. So Jesus walked by faith. And he walked into that situation where he hung on a cross. And at the moment when the wrath of God came on him, what did he say? My my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, God will never turn his back on you and me. That's a promise he gives. But at that moment, Jesus had God the Father turn his back on him. Because he became sin for you and me. He died for us. He took our punishment. And still, even though God had turned his back, what was his last breath? He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even when God had turned his back on him, Jesus still trusted him. Because he was good. Jesus knew the Father. He spent time with the Father. You read about it. He's our example. Yes, he was God, but he was man. And he spent time with the Father. Every morning, he would, it would say that he would wake up early or he would pray all night. He would know the word. He spent time. He had this prayer life where the disciples watched and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He had this relationship with God where he would talk to the Father. Even calling him dad, <laughs> that, that has some sort of connotation of an intimate relationship, a close friendship. Jesus knew the Father, and he knew that he was good, and that's why he was willing to carry on with the plan. And this is how we can know that God is good, because Jesus died for us. Our God actually took our sin, and he paid the penalty. No matter what comes our way, we can know that God is good. Why? Because he died for us. He gave everything for us, and not only did he die, but he rose again for us. And he is victorious in heaven over sin and death. He has conquered it once for all. We can know that God is good and that he loves us. Because look what he gave for us. So can I encourage you guys, get to know him. Spend time with him. Write the truth down. Write it down. Memorize it. Walk from that place and praise him. Put a stake in the ground today. Then God, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to praise you. Because through praise, I will be victorious. So if, um, if you could re- stand with me, we're going to close the service. And if Pastor Mark wants to come and play. Um, and I just want to ask, it, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if there's any of you who do not know Jesus, but you want to, if you want to get to know him tonight, I want to give you that opportunity because, man, he gives life life abundantly. He is a good God. He died for you. He loves you. He has a good plan for you. And so if there's anybody here who would like to start a relationship with Jesus, if you want to slip your hand up, and I just want to pray with you. If there's anybody here. Awesome. Amen. Awesome. So I'm just going to pray a quick little prayer, and just just say it in your hearts after me. And then I'd encourage you guys afterwards to, to fill out a card in the pew and say that, check off that, that check mark that says, I became a new Christian or I committed my life to Jesus tonight. Put that, check that off and then we'll contact you and we want to help you grow in your faith and walk by faith, okay? So let's just pray that first. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. I ask that you would forgive my sins. That you would cleanse me. And that you would come and live inside of me. I love you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. For the rest of us this evening, maybe you're here and you know Christ awesome. But do you wanna do you wanna be victorious in the battle? Do you wanna start training hard? And so if you guys, if there's anybody here who wants to put a stake in the ground tonight to say, tonight I'm making a decision to praise God no matter what. If that's you, I'd encourage you guys, raise your hand, and I want to pray for you guys. If you want to put a stake in the ground tonight, awesome. Amen. Jesus, I just, God, you're so good. Lord, we declare that right now, you are good. Even when it doesn't feel like it, you're still good. And you have a good plan in store for us. And you will work everything for the good of those who love you and who have been called according to your purpose. So Jesus, right now, I pray that you would empower each one of your servants. That you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would speak to them. Lord, that they would fall in love with you as they spend time with you, as they write your word down, as they memorize your word. And God, I pray for those who want to put a stake in the ground tonight to say, I will praise God no matter what. Lord, I thank you that you will strengthen them in that resolve. Father, may they know you experientially. May they know that you are good deep within them. So, Father, bless them and may we go out, may we be victorious when the battle comes. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your precious name. Amen. Awesome. Go in peace and go in the love and goodness of our God.